0: Paul says, this is what your status is, your position in Christ. And in the place where you live in your geography, this is how you live it out. You see, the Bible is very practical. The Bible is teaching you who you are. And I hope we get this as we read through this, that you learn who you are, how you're chosen in God. And then learn how you're chosen in Westland and Canton and Dearborn and Plymouth or wherever you're from. Learn that God has chosen you and you get to live that out by the power of God because of his grace and as peace.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Church Canton Podcast. My name is Sam. If this is your first time listening, I'm the host, and I'm so thankful that you all are here. Uh, this episode is the start of a brand new series called Ephesians, uh, based on, you guessed it, the book of Ephesians. Um, we're actually going to be in Ephesians for quite a while. We're doing two series back-to-back, um, a part one and a part two on the book of Ephesians. So buckle in, because it's going to be uh, a ride, and we're going to dive deep into that text. So um, wanted to update you on some things. Um, previously, we had said that we were going to have New Life Weekend on May 3rd, um, but that is being postponed due to the stay-at-home order being extended here in Michigan. Um, Nathan and the team are working on... What our plans are going to look like, um, but as of now, we're just going to continue online church the way that we've been doing it, um, and I'd encourage you to, to monitor our Facebook and YouTube. Nathan gives an update every Tuesday on, on those kind of things. So, um, yep, without further ado, though, here's uh, Daniel with the first message in Ephesians.
0: Welcome to Life Church Canton. My name is Daniel, and I am one of the teaching pastors here at Life Church. We're excited that you are here with us. Welcome to my Life Church family. I miss you guys. Wish you were here with us as we worship together. I'm looking forward to that day to be able to worship face to face. To our returning and first time guests, welcome. We're happy you are here with us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And see how we can love on you and care for you and serve you now and even in the future and so if you would text or type i'm new in the comment section we'd love to connect with you well you've come to us at a very good time come to us at a time as we start a new series a brand new series called chosen in christ we'll be walking through the book of ephesians the letter of paul to the ephesians now to some of you this may be a new experience Uh, You may have never walked through an entire book of the Bible before. So I want you to dig in and stay with us. So as you walk through this letter, I want you to keep a few things in mind. I want you to remember that the Bible or specifically the book of Ephesians is not a fragmented or disconnected collection of books or thoughts, if you will. On the contrary, it's a cohesive body of work that God has put together. And I'm super excited that we get the opportunity to walk through God's word and understand God's word in its proper context. Now, context, that's something that you've probably heard us say before here. It's something that's going to be a reoccurring theme as we go through this uh, epistle, as we walk through this teaching. And so make sure you listen out for that word. You see, it's crucial for us to understand God's word in its proper context. Otherwise, we will abuse it and abuse each other, which many have done and continue to even do now as they misinterpret and misapply God's word. That's very important that we understand context. This is one of the things that actually drove me into seminary. Because I hurt at the fact that people didn't understand God's word. So I wanted to know it for myself and to help people understand that. You see, for many, many years, I had I saw firsthand and up close the disaster of taking God's word out of context. I watched as people that I loved build their lives, their hopes and their dreams on promises that they thought was from God, only to realize much, much later the disappointment and the devastation that the promises that they banked on were not from God. You see, when we take a small portion of the Bible, when we base our whole life on that portion of the Bible, our whole view of God or Christianity, we can cause irreparable damages to ourselves and to others. In a sense, taking the Bible out of context is a matter of life and death. So it's important that we know what God's word really, really means. Now, we don't watch movies out of context. We don't read books out of context. No one thinks it's wise to watch a few minutes of a movie or read a few sentences in a book and assume that you understand and you've captured all what the book has to say. Uh, No, that would be illogical. The Bible is no different. There's contextual information that we must be made aware of in order to properly understand either a book of the Bible, a passage or section of the Bible, a verse in the Bible, or even a word in the Bible. A thing such as historical context and cultural context of the people and place affects how we interpret and apply God's word. Now, when we're speaking about finance, we, we've heard this saying before, cash is king. It means that if I have a car for fifty thousand dollars and you had cash and you come with forty thousand, you're possibly going to walk away with that car. Because why? I don't have to deal with checks being cleared. I don't have to deal with someone's uh, uh, credit being checked. You have cash and cash is king. Well, when it comes to scripture, when it comes to understanding and interpreting God's word, context is king. Context rules. Context rules everything around me. Context is important. Context is important to how we understand it and how we apply it. So with that said, my task today is to provide us context for the book of Ephesians. My goal, if you will, is to provide a brief overview of this rich, rich epistle. And more precisely, I I, I want to provide us with the context for God's Word even in our lives. I want to set a foundation for the next few sermons that are coming. I want to set the table, as it were, for the entire series. Now, the bulk of our time this morning will be spent in chapter 1. More precisely, we're going to spend most of our time in verses 1 and 2. Now, in order to accomplish that, in sort of order to, to guide our time this morning, I've broken verses two into three sections or three uh, observations that I want us to explore. So first, we're going to explore the author of Ephesians. Who wrote the book? Right. Who's the composer of it? Secondly, we're going to explore the audience of Ephesians. Who's the addressees? Who are the people that Paul is writing to? And then finally and thirdly, we're going to explore the aim of Ephesians. Why was it written? What was the purpose behind it? Now, let's look at our text this morning as we unpack these three important observations. Our text will be Ephesians chapter one. We'll be in verse one through two. Now I'm reading from the new American Bible standard, but you can read from any version you have. Ephesians says Ephesians chapter one says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, And then verse two, grace to you and peace from God, our father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this passage follows the typical format of the day. The typical format of an official letter has four important parts. Uh, Verse one and two makes up what is called the prologue, if you will, or the introduction of the letter. The introduction has four elements, the name of the author, the credentials or the title of the author, the name of the recipients and a general greeting from the author. Now, in verse one, we're introduced to Paul. Paul is the author. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? It's important for many reasons, but one main reason is that it affects whether or not you read the book in the first place. If I don't know who you are and I don't know your credentials, I don't know anything about you, I'm not gonna read a letter from you. And so we are introduced to Paul here. So it's important for us to know who he is. So just who is Paul? Who is this guy? Well, in short, Paul was a highly educated and proud Jewish zealot. You see, he spent many of his years harassing and terrorizing the Christian church, even to the point of violent arrest, abductions and even murder. This man who harassed and persecuted the church, Paul, the apostle. Uh, So how does one go from being dedicated to the capture and the death of the followers of Christ to now becoming one of the main representatives of the same Christ and the same faith that he once persecuted? The answer is simple, Jesus Christ. Jesus did it. Paul encountered the resurrected Christ and his life was never the same. His life forever changed. He went from the persecutor of the church to a promoter of the church. You can learn more about his journey. You can learn more about his commission and his conversion in the book of Acts. And as you look through his epistles, this is our author, this man who went from persecuting the church to being a promoter and a proponent of the church. This is the man who had the first eye, first hand eyewitness of the experience of the power and the person of Jesus Christ. Paul was then commissioned by this same Christ, the Christ that he once persecuted to be a representative to, to the entire world. Now, this brings us to the next part of the introduction, his credentials. We, we know who he is. We, we know that he's a Jewish zealot who, who fought against the church, but, but he introduces himself with this title, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So, what is an apostle? But this word shows up at least 84 times in the New Testament. Specifically, in Paul's writings, in the epistles of Paul, 39 times. Paul uses this term to refer to himself. It's a Greek word that has to do with being a commissioned officer or commissioned representative. It's someone who is authorized to speak on behalf of another person. An apostle carries the very authority of the person who sent him or her. So in short, an apostle is one who is empowered to speak and to do things on behalf of their Lord. And in Paul's case, that was Jesus Christ. You see, Paul carried the authority of Christ with him. Now, how did he become an apostle? How did Paul go from persecuting the church to being an apostle? Did he decide one day that this was going to be a great career move, that he, he wanted to become an apostle? How much sense does that make? I go from persecuting the church to now suffering for the same Lord that I persecuted. Did he he decide through a group of men who commissioned him, who said, you know, that guy, Paul, that guy who tried to kill us, who hates us, who dislikes us. I got an idea. Let's go visit him. (laughs) You, You mean the guy who tried to kill us? Let's go visit him and let's make him an apostle. Of course not. No, Paul was made an apostle by the will of God. This is the sovereign will of God. I don't have enough time this morning to unpack the will of God, the sovereign, indisputable power of God, the power of God that saves and heals us and gives us new life in him. God chose Paul to be his authorized representative with all the power and the persecution that came with it. Now, God did much through Paul. 13 letters were written by this man. Out of 27 books of the New Testament, 13 of them were written by Paul. He performed many miracles in the name of Christ. He led many people to save in faith. And now we can even look back that millions and millions of people have come to know the power and the person of Christ through this man. In fact, it's even said of Paul that he took the gospel through the entire continent of Asia, even through much of the Roman Empire. You see, Paul was driven He had an unquenchable passion to see lives transformed by the power of Christ. Paul was driven by new life. He had a legacy. What a great legacy to have. Christian or people who are listening, what is your legacy? What legacy will we leave behind? Would it be said of us that we were faithful to God? I hope so. This is our author. This is the man that God has chosen to use. This is Paul, one of God's spokesperson whose letter and writings carry the very weight, the very authority, the very uh, power of God himself. This brings us to our second observation, the audience of Ephesians. Who are the Ephesians? In verse one, he says that to the saints who are at Ephesus. Here's that word context again. What's the context for these people? It's important that we know their cultural context. It's important that we understand who they are because it helps us understand even more so our third point. The Ephesians were Christians, followers of Christ, uh, people who have given their life to Christ, people who have surrendered their will to God's will, people who have become very familiar with their sinfulness and turned to a God, a righteous, holy God to save them but they were in a place called Ephesus. Let's give some context again about Ephesus. Who and what was Ephesus? These are Christians who were in this city. And so we must understand the city, this was a port city, which means that all the traffic came here. If you will, it was a metro station for all the traffic of that day. It was the world's hub for commerce, for education, and even for sorcery and witchcraft. Hence why Paul teaches in chapter six about spiritual warfare. You see, they were pressed in by the witchcraft and the sorcery and the evil dark magic of that day. They were feeling the pressure from that. If you wanna get a glimpse of what they are, they they were the capital city of Asia. They were the world's jewel, if you will. In the prime of Ephesus, everyone came to Ephesus. If you wanna think about what Ephesus is, think about LA. New York and Paris rolled up into one and then on steroids. Think about L.A. and New York and Paris on performance enhancers, if you will. Think about how exciting that city was. Ephesus was a major world attraction. Everyone came to Ephesus to do business. It even contained one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana, also known as the Temple of Artemis in Greek. This was a booming, buzzing city. This was a busy city with many attractions, or should I say many distractions. Enough to cause one to forget who they were. Enough enough to cause someone to doubt, to forget or even reject who they are. Now, you might be able to relate to that. Have you gone through anything that has caused you to doubt your very identity? Have you gone through anything that's caused you to reject who you are, forget who you are? Has the current circumstances, the current crisis of our day robbed you of your identity? Has COVID done irreparable damage to your soul? Loss of livelihood, loss of life even in some cases? These uncertain times have a way of testing to see who we are. Not just who we are in Christ, but who we are, period. This letter was written to encourage the Ephesians. And friends, it was written to encourage you and I as well. This brings us to our third and final point the aim of Ephesians. Why did God commission Paul to write this letter? Look at verse two. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply put, Paul wrote to impart grace and peace. And he spends six chapters explaining and unpacking all the grace and the peace that we have in God. But what is grace and peace? That's a word that we throw around a lot, but what is it? Grace is this unmerited favor of God. Grace is this unheard, unearned blessing from God. And what is peace? Restoration from God, harmony, balance, revival in one soul. Folks, are we ready for a revival? I know I'm due for one to revive my soul. Paul wrote to impart grace and peace. This was a common phrase that they used during Paul's time. In fact, Paul's letters open up with this. With the exception of the book of Romans, every single letter that Paul wrote starts off with grace and peace to you. Interestingly enough, though, every letter he writes ends with grace and peace with you. Paul starts off by saying grace to you, and grace with you. One scholar noted it this way, that it's as though Paul was imparting God's grace and peace to the hearers of his letter, to the readers of his letter. And that's not far-fetched, folks. He was an apostle, remember? He was commissioned by God. He was given the authority to speak on behalf of God. So it makes sense that he would bring divine grace and peace. Uh, Paul sends them into the world with this grace and peace. Paul brings it to them, and hopes and prays that it will stay with them. Which means by implication, folks, the accurate teaching and reading of God's word, even now, still brings divine grace and peace to his heirs. That's an amen moment if I've ever heard one. That we can tap into that divine grace if we accurately read and understand God's word. And he sends them into this world, saying that that grace and peace that I've brought you from the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father, I pray that it would be with you He sends them into this awful world with sorcery, witchcraft and everything. So I understand why he prays for the grace to be with them. What a world they lived in. What a world we live in. What a world that presses in on us, that causes us to doubt who we are. Oh, folks, we need divine grace. I need it more every day of God. I'm sure you do, too. Ephesus was a city that was filled with all kinds of lust. Lust for money, for power, for prominence and even sorcery. Even worse still, was the pressures outside? The pressure was outside. Uh, Yeah, I know I could deal with the pressure outside. But what about the pressure inside? You see, the faith of these people in Christ and their faithfulness to Christ was even being challenged by fellow Christians, Jewish Christians who treated them like second class citizens because of their ethnicity. Oh, I know the church in America doesn't know anything about racism and prejudice. In fact, I have the privilege now to walk a few people through The, the Color of Compromise, a wonderful book that deals with the history of the church in America and how it, it, it not only ignored slavery, but it promoted it. Do you imagine what it feels like to read that people who look like me were being ostracized just because of the color of their skin by the very people you ought to be loved by? We need grace. We need peace. They did. And we do now. Paul spends six chapters empowering and exhorting them to know and to live out the truth of their faith. Uh, If I was to break down this passage, I might do it this way. From chapter one through three, Paul spends time reminding them of their calling as believers to Christ. And in chapters four through six, he reminds them of their conduct as a result of that calling in Christ. So 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 chapter one through 3 your calling into Christ. Uh, chapters four through six, your conduct in, in relation and, and as a result of that calling. Or better yet, chapters one through three, Paul lays down godly doctrine. From chapter four through six, he lays out godly duty. Uh, he, he says this is the indicative and now do the imperatives. Or, or better yet, this, this is what you are in God. This is what you believe. This is your conviction is God. And this is how you are meant to live in light of that conviction. Even more importantly, chapters one through three, we see what it means to be chosen in Christ. And in chapters four through six, we see what it means to be chosen in Christ in Ephesus. That's very important, folks. Paul says, this is what your status is, your position in Christ. And in the place where you live in your geography, this is how you live it out. You see, the Bible is very practical. The Bible is teaching you who you are. And I hope we get this as we read through this, that you learn who you are, how you're chosen in God. And then learn how you're chosen in Westland and Canton and Dearborn and Plymouth or wherever you're from. Learn that God has chosen you and you get to live that out by the power of God because of his grace grace his peace. What an experience it must have been for the Ephesian church. What an experience it must be for us when we go through this journey and learn what God has done for us in Christ. So make sure you join us as we travel to and through the book of Ephesians. My hope is that as we do this, God's grace will be to us and with us as we learn his word in its proper context. Well, now you've got some much needed context. In fact, folks, I got to be honest with you. I want you to do some studying on your own. There's much more we could have gotten into. But you've got some basics that will help you understand. We've walked through the author, Paul, the apostle. We walked through the audience, Ephesians in Ephesus, the Christians of God in Ephesus. And we've walked through the aim the reason to impart divine grace and peace. And my brothers and I will be unpacking that for the next few weeks. You gotta come see that. Don't miss it. It's important. Life depends on it, if you will. Now I have a few action steps for you so that you can maximize your time in God's word, so that you can get the most out of your journey through Ephesians. Action step number one, spend time this week finding a reliable translation of the Bible. In fact, one of the main objections I get from people about the reading the Bible is that it's too hard to read. (laughs) And that's fine. I understand. And I can appreciate that. But when you inquire a little further, you find out there's this old antiquated English version of the dows and the do's and the dents. It's hard for me even as a as a as a theologian to to read through those things. Friends, did you know that there's over 900 translations of the Bible? That's 900 reasons for you to read this week. Problem solved. You are welcome. And when you think about that, 900 translations of the Bible, you can download apps like the YouVersion app that gives you multiple translations to to read and to study and to learn through. There's no excuse to not be able to get into God's word. And I want to encourage you. I don't want to convict you and condemn you. I want to encourage you that there's so much at your disposal. In fact, Pastor Nathan was saying a couple of weeks ago is that we are a culture that has more access to God's resources than ever. And we squander it. 900 translations, 900 reasons to fix your life. 900 reasons to know Christ. I promise you it to be the best decision you've ever made for the Christian and the non-Christian. And if reading is an issue, if you prefer not to read, the app even has options. Another problem solved. You are most welcome. Action step number two. I want you to read or as it were, listen. Listen through Ephesians this week. And in fact, listen through the entire series. It's going to do two things for you at the very least. First, it's going to allow you to understand the flow and the logic of Ephesians. There's a logic to it. There's a flow to it. In fact, the word of God is called the logos, which is where we get logistics and logic from. There is a flow to God's mind. It helps you understand it and be blessed by its truth when you understand God's word in its context. The second reason I want you to read through and study through this with us as you prepare your mind for this is reading through the scriptures ahead of time and, and listening to it. It prepares your heart and your mind. And this is the most important one, folks. It prepares your heart and your mind for the next sermons that are coming. It, it maximizes the impact of God's word in your life. So if you're going to do it, folks, do it ahead of time. Read ahead so that when you come in, you are you are doubly impacted by that grace and peace. Our final step. As you read, I want you to keep something in mind. Keep the purpose of why you're reading in mind. And what is that purpose? To know God, to know the person and the power of God, to know the person of God, his character, his attributes, who he is. So you could decipher who he's not to know the power of God, to know that life-given power. You know, the Bible speaks about Jesus. He says that, that other men were living men, but he's a life-given man to know the purpose of God for your life, why he made you, why he fashioned you, why he chose you before the very foundations of the earth. Folks, I get giddy when I hear that, that he loved me before I was even lovable. He loved me to become lovable. You see, the purpose of every Bible study, the purpose of every Bible reading, the purpose of every Bible devotion is so that we may know God. This is the reason why we spend hours researching God's word. It's the reason why we spend hours figuring out what God's word says to see if we know it truly. Not just because I want to be a scholar or know God's word. It's because knowing God's word means I know God. And knowing God is eternal life. Even as a preacher, this is my goal to know God's word and to teach it accurately. We do everything here so that you can encounter Jesus. And that encounter leads to knowing Jesus. And when you know him, you have eternal life. Let me give you a great way that I found to keep the purpose in mind. I pause and I pray. And before I enter into God's word, I pause and I pray. Uh, sometimes I think in our culture, we, we, we get a little squirmish about the supernatural. I am call, I am pausing and praying that the God of all creation, the divine God of the universe would invade and enter into my circumstance. That as I read his word, that he would breathe life into me. It's a very good way to center yourself, to sort of preempt yourself or to, to prime the pump, if you will, to say, I'm getting ready to go into God's word. Let me pause. That helps you keep the purpose of knowing him in mind that I'm not trying to accumulate information. In fact, I was talking to one of my friends last night and I was like, man, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's so much in this passage and I really want to go deeper. And he was like, give the people what they can handle and what they need. And what's the purpose of what you're doing is to know God. Don't miss that. Don't just give them information. In fact, one of the reasons I love what we do here at Life Church is that we meet a couple of days ahead and go through the sermon. And we begin to just talk through some nuances of the sermon to figure out, man, are we really encountering Jesus in the sermon? I love the way Charles Spurgeon used to say it. Every sermon I preach, I make a beeline to the cross if you know a little bit about Charles, he never made a beeline to the cross. He <laughs> wished he did, but I make a beeline to the cross. So keep God in mind. Now maybe you're here and you don't know God. You might be an agnostic, an atheist, or you might be someone whose heart has cooled away from God. I wanna encourage you to be here for this entire series. I wanna encourage you to be here to learn the provision that God has made for his people. One of those major provisions is righteousness or better yet, right standing with a holy God, without which no one can enter heaven. Paul uses this term earlier in our text. He calls the Ephesians saints of God. Now, depending on your background, you may see this as someone who's perfect, who, who, or at least someone who thinks, excuse me, that they're perfect. You may see this as someone who, who, who thinks that they have no faults, or they're, they're absolutely wonderful. They're such a much as one of my friends used to say. Or maybe you're from a religious background that thinks that these are an exclusive sect of men. And I specifically use men who've done wonderful miracles, who've died, who've been in the grave for 10 years. And perhaps after 10 years, they they were revisited and multiple people would gather together and say, let's now say he's a saint. The Bible knows no category of that. The Bible says saints are those who are imperfect. In fact, it's the contrary of everything you've been taught about sainthood. Sainthood are those who are imperfect and those who are faulty. And here's the kicker. They know that they are imperfect. That imperfection, that awareness of their imperfection, that awareness of their faultiness rocks them to the core and puts them on their knees to ask for grace and peace from God. To be reconciled to the God who loved them even before they loved themselves. You see, contrary to what you believe, contrary to what people may say, a saint is not someone who's perfect. A saint who God is someone who God is perfecting. It's an ongoing process where God continues to work on them and they see less and less of themselves and more and more of God. These are those who have humbly asked for mercy from God, who now have a security in God that they will spend eternity, not in hell, not in pain, not in torment, not away from the glorious God of the universe, but in his bosom in Christ. If you're here, you can have that too. You can have that, too. You can call on him even now and he will save you. The Bible says that if you call on the name of the God, he will not disappoint you. He will come and save you. Friend, you can have that peace. You can have that grace. You can have new life in Christ. If I may be bold to lead you in a prayer. If God has tugged on your heart to understand that today is not promised. Folks, this hour is not promised. If we've learned anything in our society recently is that everything that we banked on, everything that we hoped in could be disturbed in a millisecond, could be destroyed and completely turned upside down. When you close your eyes and you open up in eternity, will you be looking at God as your Lord and Savior? As the lover of your soul or as the judge who will judge you righteously for all that you've done. You may want to pray like this. I hear this preacher man, forget about me. I hear him talk about that you are good. And I want to experience that. God, I want you to show yourself to me. I want to encounter you like Paul did on the Damascus road and be knocked off my beast. I want to be knocked off anything that I put faith in that will end me in misery. I want you to come into my heart now, Lord. Fix me. Give me a vision for you. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, it's not a magical prayer, but it's a first step towards the best decision you've ever made to know Christ as your Lord. We want to connect with you. Put in the comment section. Let us know who you are. Let us know where you're from. Let us know that God is doing a work in your life. And even if you have questions, if you're like, I don't know, I just want to know. Uh, there's a man in the Bible that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We want to hear those questions. We love those questions. And folks, we got degrees in here. We got more degrees in a the thermometer. It's the reason we went to school was not to get information, but so that you could know God. That's our job. That's our duty. That's our desire to answer those questions. Don't leave without talking. Don't leave without getting those questions answered to everybody else. I want to encourage you to read through this book written to the Ephesians with you in mind. Because guess what? As a believer in Christ, you too are a saint. And as someone who's now accepted Christ, you too are a saint. And as someone who wants to or desires to, you too can be a saint. Here's my prayer. God, teach us what we don't know. Give us what we don't have, Lord. And the persons that you have designed us to be, make us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org now, or fill out the form linked in the show notes, and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you watched Life Church online for the first time this this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Live Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.